Welcome back to Case Studies. I am here with my longtime friend, Sam Taggart. And it's been a little while since we've caught up. I know. And so I'm like, there's a gap. that There's, there's a time where we worked together. And then there was a time where you transitioned on. And then there's this gap. And it's kind of like the core part of your career and life. Yeah. I thought Vivint was going to be like, that's the pinnacle, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and it was just a, it was just a chapter. Yep, like it was, chapter. it was just a chapter in the book. And so can't wait to dive into it. This is, this is like out of anything that is near and dear to my heart is the career that you're kind of central in. Like it's, you, you've kind of established yourself as the category expert of door-to-door sales kind of on a national level. And I remember you telling me about it, telling me about this vision. And I remember being like, that's not going to work. There's no way that that's going to work. Like the, like yeah, the no. tribes will not allow this thing to work. There and, was pushback. There was definitely friction. And you thread the needle. Yeah. You, you made it happen. So, yeah. I mean, just to start, I want to say like super proud of you, brother. Thanks, so man. cool. Thanks. So, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. I want to hear Sam Taggart from the beginning. Like, what, where does this story start? When I was 11, I was, uh, my brother recruited me to sell magazines door to door and he split the commission with me. 13, my cousin recruits me to go sell curbs. So I paint addresses on the curbs all through high school. Um, when I was like 15, we started a little business called the Gutterman. I moved to California and I was like, hey, can I like, still do this? He's like, yeah, you you don't need to like have a non-compete in California. I was like, okay. And I recruit my buddies. We start doing pretty decent volume in curb painting and had like little bag kits and bike routes and map questing it. And then when I was 18, I knew I wanted to do door to door. It wasn't, you know, I was already doing it. So it was like, should I sell pests or should I sell alarms? And my sister had a buddy doing pest and my brother had a buddy doing alarms and ended up doing alarms. And then I no. went on a mission. So I did alarms before my mission, helped my mission. Which had to give you such an advantage on oh, the yeah. mission. I think about my mission and doing it after my mission. And that there was this gap for me when I went on my mission, had a great mission, but came back and there's this gap in like, I can't get an hourly job. Like I'm literally going to Chili's with a, with an application and they just put it on a stack of 30 applications. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. I'm, so I'm fighting with like the masses for this hourly job and, and kind of being scared a little bit. Like, how am I going to go provide? And, you know, and then you go learn this skill set, and it, it gave me, you'd even to this day, so much confidence yeah. in like my ability uh, to produce value in any market, in any scenario that I knew I could go take care of my family. But that had to have been such an advantage to have that at 18. Yeah, it was pre-mission. You know what I mean? You just know, hey, I could go take care of myself. It was not. I mean, I had money paid for the mission, had money stocked in stocks, all my mission growing. You know what I mean? Like it was weird. I like never had a W-2 job. So it's like most people, they almost get like indoctrinated into W-2. This is the society of life. You go to college, you get a job, like where I just kind of was dropped into 1099 my whole life. Yeah. And so when I, you know, coming home from my mission, it was 30 days later, I'm back in Texas and I'm hitting the doors. You know what I mean? I yep. did alarms again. And it wasn't if I was going to be good because I already was good 
before the mission, the yep. mission I only helped give to it, but then I just kept going. And then after that year, you guys recruited me. So Casey and Mendez, big shout out, ended up going to work with these guys. And Nick Hansen was like super close with you. Yep. He popped me on his team and you're like, go with Nick. And, uh, best thing I ever did. I, I, you know, good culture fit, good people, good mentors. Well, you guys rallied. And we rallied. Like you guys had a run. We won the cup that year. We, yep. you know, and I managed with him a few times and then went and broke off on my own and did well. And, um, it was a good run. I did what been four or five years. How, and, how, how crazy is that? Like think, give, give me some perspective on your personal career and how important it is to start with mentors that uh, like give you the fundamentals on how it's done. Cause it like, when I think about the people who I respect the most in the industry, like the best people that I worked with, Nick Hansen and Jeff Mendez are two that are like top of the list. They're yeah. just so good. So professional, just do it the right way. And you kind of had both those guys that yeah, a, as a young a guy, solid, like I'm this young, I think this is where most young guys go wrong is they get a hot head and they're like, I'm just going to do it on my own. And they, they chase the pay. And I think luckily, like I had a good, my dad was a really good mentor, business owner, successful. And I remember I knew I wanted to leave platinum because the culture had just started to decline. The numbers weren't there. And I saw some writing on the wall. It turns out like a month after I leave, they got a business. That's so it was crazy. like everybody left. And so, yeah. um, but I was getting recruited by Pinnacle. I was getting recruited by North Star. Like I remember sitting down and hated Vivint. Like I was like, there's no way I'm going to that company. And I, I, I was, I remember meeting with Rico and I was like, Hey, tell me about North Star. What's your opinion on them? By the end of that meeting he's like, I was like, dang it. I probably should meet about Vivint. Like it wasn't about meeting with Vivint. Yeah. Cause back then, like it's, it's funny, you know, the further you get away from it, the less you realize like how, like real and emotional it was, but like platinum and Vivint were like, yeah, it was hated like, hate us. Yeah, they were in my same like area and they were like sign hunting my stuff. Yeah. Like I had a bad taste. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I remember though, I was getting better offers and something just kept telling me, they're like, just go after the best team and the best culture and the best leaders. Like, who told you that? I'm, I don't, I don't know if that was you guys, like, and, and maybe it was a recruiting play, but something like that. I mean, it's just true. It's just true. It's like, and it, it hit me which was unique because I almost left the Alder where it was like, oh, this guy's going to, remember that you know, he's doing a thousand, how the heck and blah, blah, blah. And I, and, and it, I went back to that same principle of like, okay, but like, where's the culture? Where's the team? Where's the ethics? Yep. Where's the values that you really care about? Yeah. And despite the shiny objects, I was a sexy talent that everybody wanted to throw money at. And it was like, no, like this is, this has those things. And I think, you know, everybody pushed me to want to manage. So I went to, with Nick kind of as assistant manager the next year. It was like, dude, you have veteran guys returning. Go You're, do it. Go do it. Yeah. And I was like, ah, no, let's, let's do another run. And I think staying that extra year matters giving so Nick much. the override. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and I look back at that second year staying with Nick and saying, I actually will pay for the mentorship for the extra year was a huge catalyst. He went and did solar. I kept the alarms, you know right. what I mean? And, but I was just like, I think too many people try to grow too fast. They don't have the patience to say, okay, dude, at its own time, line upon line, precept upon For precept. Sure. And they, they go start their own solar dealer. They go start their own thing. They go run a team. And I'm like, bro, that's going to just like invest in the leadership, the mentorship, yeah. the coaching. And 
I've taken that principle on steroids. I've paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for masterminds and coaches and different events and things like that since then. And I think that's helped accelerate me to get where I'm at now. And so I think that chapter at Vivint was a pinnacle foundational piece. But then I go into, so I leave Vivint, get into solar, wanted to stay in Utah. So so talk to me a little bit about those last couple of years at Vivint, because you did some things that, you know, no one does like the, the one that I remember, and this is, you know, it's iconic because I just, how hard it is. It's, there's one person every year. You were the top rep at Vivint. Which, which year was that? Was that with Nick or was it it on your own? Oh man. And, And like that feat is, there's just, I mean, you got 4,000 plus reps and to go do that. I, I think my best year, I was top 10, but the gap between number one and number 10 was like a hundred accounts. I think Jordan Williams beat me by a hundred. So like that, yeah, it was just, it was kind of like a, it's gotta be something you're so proud of. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of take it with you forever, you know, like these, it's like an accolade. It's like, I won the world series and you can like wear that ring. Yeah, But I, I even think about like, for me, like when I finished my first summer in Des Moines, how like still to this day, I've, you know, something I'm really proud of because yeah. it was so hard. And I think about managing my first real team and in, in Austin and like, again, like it's like something that I look back to and say, I laid it all on the field that year. I, I did everything within my control to be excellent and do a great job. And it's those building blocks that give you the confidence. You go do something bigger in the future. And that was it. That, I love that you said that because I couldn't agree more. It's like, I never, I was the sixth man on the basketball team most of the time. I was the 5'10 white kid. Like I never got the hottest chick. You know what I mean? Like it was like growing up, you have these imposter insecurities, deeper issues. And I think that was growing up. It's like all of us. I, I, yeah, we still do. If there's anything that like, you know, the older you get, the more you start unpacking this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, we have like these self-limiting beliefs that just don't serve us well. And you I never, I, mean. I never saw myself as the number one guy, even, yeah. even up until like a week before being number one, I'm like, Oh, somebody passed me. Like, I'm not going to be number one. Yeah. I'm like, you know, and I was kind of wanted it. I and wanted you, it. Like it wasn't, for it. yeah. Like, like you, I was yeah. like, Oh, of course. But I was like, I never even like, it never settled in until Ty Bashan calls me. He's like, bro, I got to go home having a baby. You got it in the bag. Cause there was no one else even close. And you so guys like, were going toe to toe. Yeah. It was like, yeah. he kept tailing and he was pacing and catching up and For he sure. wanted it. And I was like, yeah, you can have it. Like kind of one of those things. Like I don't deserve it. You got it. Like yeah. you can just like give it to him. Yeah. He calls me and I was like, oh, oh wait, does that mean I can go home? Like I did it. Like, and, and I just, I remember that moment of just like, oh, I, I, I was the guy, like yeah. I'm the one. Yeah. And you know, that's a big moment. And then there's a humbling moment, I think, that comes with it. So like the 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 self-belief, the like the accolade, the win. Now you're like, mate, where else can I do that? You get to take it with you forever. Like, yeah, you get to just really like really special. Hold that. And it, and Vivian does a really good job at making it a big deal. Like it's like but, you get a big, but it is a big deal. Like I was talking to Coach Pope, um had an interview with Coach Pope at BYU, and he's talking about them winning a national championship at Kentucky. Mm. It'd been 20 plus years since they'd won it. They went out, they did it. And he's like, to this day, like, I I think about that every day. Like, yeah. it's this experience that, but it was because they sacrificed so hard for it. And I don't think anybody that hasn't been in the industry understands 
how excellent you've got to be every day for a yeah. lot of days. You know what I mean? Like it's not something that you just turn it on for a, a no, day it's or a, a week consi- or a weekend. Yeah. It's every 100%. day for 120 days. 100%. Anyway, I, I like anybody that can do something like that. I just, you, you have like this level of respect for them. Cause you're like, it's another category, you know, and the, the guys who've done it, they're just all successful in the next thing they go to. It's like these success principles, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. And like, yeah, it's like you look at it like your partner. He's like, I played professional baseball. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Now you win in professional and private. Equity. No, you, it's you, like you, that, you see it so much with like competitive athletics and you know, it's like that same, those same ingredients yes. transfer. hundred percent. Yep. And it's something when you're hiring, when you're, when you're doing anything, it's like, can I go find that talent yep. and develop that talent or, or breed in that almost competitive nature out of people. Right. Um, but it was interesting like that year. And it's just me being real. Like you go up on stage, you get this big trophy, you have a, half the crowd clap, half the people are like, F you, yeah, you know but, what I mean? Like, like it, they're sitting there going, I was supposed to be up there, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, and then you sit down and then everybody's like, all right, next award goes to, and you're just like, yeah. Oh shit. Like now what? Yeah. That, that, that was always kind of one of the things that I don't want to say was a downer for the industry. Cause I think it's just life. I think there's people who are happy for you and there's people that aren't, you yep. know what I mean? And I think for me, naturally I'm a people pleaser. I, I want people to like me. Yeah. And so I think you, you know, it's taken me time to realize like not everybody's going to like you and that's okay. Yep. That you just have to kind of be completely good in your own skin with just who you are. And if they like you, they like you. And if they don't, they don't, but that's their issue. That's not your issue. But I, but I think that, you know, you go up there and kind of you describing like half the people, you know, and I learned a life principle. But what I can, can say is they did respect you. Even if they didn't like you, Hands down, anybody who's done it knows how hard it is to do it. hundred percent. And I think that applies to today. What I'm doing, I still get a lot of rocks thrown at me. I think anybody that's moving at a fast pace, that's winning life is going to have that feeling. And then I realized in that moment, I'm sitting at the table, you meet with my team, have the trophies on my table or whatever. I think I like seven different trophies or whatever. And, And I, I was like, maybe this isn't it. And, and I did another year that year, finished top 10 again, like yep. a killer year. But like, I kind of had this realization of like, am I chasing some fulfilling, like needing something from validating other people? Or am I chasing like what I'm really passionate about? Yeah. And then I, you know, it, it transitioned me into this like kind of life journey, which is always going to come with hiccups and bumps. And, you know, it was like this, what it what what gives you real fulfillment and satisfaction and you always think like oh once i get the lambo once i get the number one spot once i have x and you start to like realize that's not what it's about yeah it's like those are huge moments of self-confidence they're huge things to push for but like if you make your life all about that and i think i kind of moved into the over obsessive you thought those things would make you happy yes yeah and i've gone on a you know 10-year journey since then of saying, how do I unwind that? Where did that stem from? I wrote a book this year that came out in March um, called The Self-Experience. It'd be good. I should should have brought you a copy, but I'll send you one. Um, But like, I think everybody needs to go and find what's their their mountain they're looking to climb and go climb that. 
and be okay with the valleys and the rivers and the canyons that get to go there. But then realize once you get there, you should have already anticipated there's mountains beyond that mountain. Yeah. And if you're like thinking like, oh, once I get there, the heavens are going to open up and life's good. It's like, you're wrong. And I, I went on, a, I, I became the VP of sales of a solar company and then that shit the bed. And then I went to another solar company. You know what I mean? Like there was this like transitions of like looking for, I wanted more of a whiteboard to play on. Yeah. Well, Vivint didn't give you much of a whiteboard. It was more like you're a soldier. Structured. Yeah. You're a soldier, yeah. plug into our system, win, make money. Yeah. There it is. And it's not wrong. It's just like, I was like, the creator in me was like, I need more input, more. So I, you know, I had a blank canvas, got to go make the pay scales, had to build the training and had to learn a new skill set. But also, you think about even those like skill sets and even those experiences and you're like, you couldn't be doing what you're doing today without those. Oh. You know, you like, and we were talking about that upstairs, but you think about, I think back to my days at Atlas and I, I remember getting this question like, hey, do you regret working there before you worked at Vivint? Like you could have been so much further down the road at Vivint. And I'm like, I never would have had the career that I had at Vivint without those days, both the good and the bad. Like I got these life experiences sooner than I would have got at a bigger company. Yep. I was forced into being a manager in a regional way quicker than I was ready because the company was so small. Yep. And then the second I lost everything when that thing crashed and burned and I wouldn't have appreciated yep. the opportunity if I wouldn't have like literally just got my teeth kicked in. And I think back about that and I'm like, I wouldn't have had the drive. I wouldn't have had the hunger. Yep. I wouldn't have had the appreciation. I mean, even to this day, like Todd and Alex, I reverence those guys. I'm like they saved my life, you know? And so it, it's 20 years later and I'd do anything for those guys because they bet on me when they didn't have to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I, what you're describing, I, I, you know, I think that's how life works. And I think anybody who sees anybody who's successful, you, you see this linear line and that's how you think it goes. And the more that you dig into success, it's just not that rosy and not that clean ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so much more muddy and so much more ugly. And it, most of it's just kind of a, a commitment to stay on the track, to keep fighting. Yeah. No. And I mean, even when I launched the first door to door con, you know what I mean? You think of like, I'm like, I'm going to put my eggs into this. I had to quit being the VP of sales because I yeah. couldn't sit on the fence of like serving two masters of like, Oh wait, are you going to recruit all my reps? You're still our VP over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, no, no, I really have this mission to unify up level, bring honor, integrity to this industry. And it came with some resistance. You know what I mean? And yeah. you know, Vivian through the thing down the hall, a lot of people are throwing rocks being like, what, who's he to be that guy? You know what I mean? Like so much adversity. Right. And it was like, I'm like, you know, anything worth having and like any good true mission should come with all this shit. Oh, of course. But, but, but I even think about, I remember you sat down with me and this is six or seven years ago and just kind of like to counsel, to go get some advice. Yeah. And I was like, don't do it. Like, I'm, I'm hearing you describe it and I'm like, that sounds like a dumpster fire. Like you're going to position yourself in the middle of all of this, like, yeah. and people are going to trust you like with the reps and, and like to me in that, you know what I mean? So you, and I, I feel like I'm like have a sincere heart and I'm like giving sincere feedback, you yeah. know what I mean? And I was just wrong. You went for it and you, you know, it turned into what you wanted 
And I think that's the like beauty of like following your heart is you just, you kind of had conviction and you went for it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they get beat up a little too much and they fall back. Of course. For me, I was like, I've always been resourceful enough but, to but, say. But don't you think that's like one of the benefits of being a door door salesman? Exactly. I'm like, I've like, been, I've knocked enough doors. I still am knocking. Like I'm calling people like, Hey, need to fill 30 more vendor spots. Hey, 100%. You were calling me today, yeah. pitching me on, you know, 100%. vendor spot. And, and I love it. Like the, the hustle, like, cause I am the same thing, you know, I'm, I'm all day, every day practicing the same principles that I learned. And, and I don't get affected by rejection. Like it, it's almost like I've worn that emotional muscle out where not it just does deal. not bother me anymore. Like I, I have kind of stamped out the, that part of me that cared. And it, you wonder like the skill set of that, like stamp out your rejection. It's, it's the goal. I, yeah, I, I don't like, know if there's anything more important than like being okay with failure. I took my kids to sell hot chocolate on Saturday night at the tree of life. Yeah. And I was like, you guys need to go, you know, and there was like a lull. Right. And I'm like, go out and start knocking. And I just remember my seven year old daughter running down this hill. She went a hundred yards away, poached some random dude and was like, he's coming. And just like to see her face and then to see the other kid going and being like running all the way out to this one guy. And he's like, he said, he said he'd think about it. He might think about it. <laughs> He's like looking so at me and I'm just yeah. like, good for you. I'm like, he got an, I think about it objection and he's hopeful right now, but like he's learning that maybe not everything. I, mean, about I, I, did, like, I did the exact same thing. My, my daughter, they have this business fair at school and she decides she's going to go make baked goods, you know? So she's like chocolate covered strawberries yeah. and like, Rice Krispie treats. And so we're kind of teaching like cost of goods and hey, you got to put this out. Yeah, and you got to get, you know, so trying to like teach I charged them. I said, you have a $30 cost of goods on this. Yeah. And they made and 130 bucks. Yep. And I was like, I'm charging for yep. your and she, freaking hot chocolate. She's, you know, eight years old at the time. Yeah. And then I'm going through that process with her of saying, hey, we can do two things. We can either set up a booth and we can like let people come to us, or you could put it in a wagon and you could take it to them. And she's like, well, I think, we, you know, if we took it to them, we'd probably, I'm like, man, that's an awesome idea. Let's go do it. So I'm, I'm out there knocking doors with her. And it was so fun to like see her get super nervous, go up to the door. And, you know, she like, no one's rejecting her. She's like hundred batting a hundred, you know, she's like a little girl selling like, yeah, like girls. But, but, but also like, I'm like, Hey, you know, you gotta like, you gotta tell them what they're going to get, what, you know, what you're going to get and, and having her go through that process. And like, I just, I don't know of any better way to learn than to learn. Like you just have to get out and do it. I, I'm literally on a call with one of my sales guys today. Like we have sales team ter- sell our coaching or whatever. And I watch him just kind of like tail between the legs. And I'm like, you've been selling for me for two years and this is how you respond to these guys. Yeah. And I take over. I'm like, let me take over. Yeah. Hold on. And I, I look at the customer. He's a sole solar owner. And I was like, did you just say this, this, and this? And he's like, well, yeah. And I was like, does any of that even make sense? I'm not taking no. And he's like, wait, is this Sam? I was like, yeah. I just listened to half your effing call, and that's embarrassing. And he's like, what? And I just like call him out, right? And this is a business owner, right? And I was like, no, this is what's going to happen. And at the end of it, he's like, 
I feel like I'm watching your training right now. And actually he's like, I might, he's like, I was like, go buy because this is how good we are. And this is what we're convinced yeah. on. And I was like, this is what we're doing. And I just looked at my sales guy. I was like, bro, like, it doesn't feel good for getting rejected all the time, but you don't have to get rejected all the time. Yeah, you got to believe in yourself. And I, and, and I think so often we don't learn that skill of like diminishing the rejection, but then that self-belief of like, what I got is like the coolest thing in the planet. I'm following your lead. You're the expert, you know, and what you're describing is that. It's like when you step onto that phone, your certainty and your conviction that I will deliver for you, that it's never going to be this exchange isn't going to be one-sided. You're not going to pay me and get yeah. less than I give. I'm going to give you so much more than you give me. That's that. That's what a sell is. Yep. It's an exchange of value. And when one person, it can't be one-sided or it's not going to be a repeat sell. The only reason that somebody's going to do business with you for a long time is that you deliver so much value that they can't not do business with you. That is literally one of my mantras. I will give so much value. People will gladly give me their money. Yeah, like I'm going to give you this massive stack of value for this little stack of dollars. If it's even close, that's where the waffling happens. That's where people get on the fence. You know, well, so I'm with my sales team today. So I got interviewed on a podcast. This is my second podcast I've been on today. And I did a podcast. <laughs> so I've done some podcasts today. And this client of mine has 60 episodes deep, but he signed up for our program in 2020 of June. He paid 70 grand. He was a one-man pest control company out of Michigan, like 26-year-old. Like, dude, we're 70 grand. Like, you know, and I felt bad charging him. I was like, no. I told him no four times. Yeah. He called me for two weeks straight and was like, I need this. Well, turns out he did $5 million in new revenue this year hundred sales guys, you know what I mean? He followed everything to the T and he's like, now I've, I've been waiting. I wanted to prove to you that my podcast was legit enough. If I get a thousand subscribers a week just before I invited you on my own podcast and wow. I've saved every one of my notes. Here's the sticky note used in the name game. I'm Lionel Richie on a stupid icebreaker game. He whips out a freaking piece of paper with all the me chicken scratch of how to build a pay scale and how to price to his customer. And I was like, I almost got like teary eyed. It's got to make you so proud. And I'm like, when I sold that to him, I was like, there's no way this cat pays 70 grand for this. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that's his whole life savings. He's like, yeah. and he told me, he's like, bro, I was scared shitless. I put it on credit cards. I had to get two different cards. Like, you know what I mean? And I didn't want to tell you this. And I'm like, yeah, like, that's probably why I was like, don't do this, man. Yeah. And it was earlier in, in my career. Now knowing what I now know and what he said it's such a, and I was telling this to my sales team after I did the podcast today. I was like, he was said that was the greatest $70,000 he has ever spent. Of course. But to me, it's like, what are you paying me for to come and like rah rah you yeah, and like yeah, tell yeah. you like some basic shit on how to knock yeah. a door? You know what yeah. I mean? I'm like, you're going to pay me that much. And yeah. he was part of my mastermind and had teams go out. You know what I mean? Like, there's like all this stuff to it. But I was like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. In retrospect to what? He just did. I bet his company could sell right now for like $25 million. It's crazy. And it's like, yeah, where would have he been had he not put the 70 yeah. grand in it? I, I think back to this experience, some 21 years old, straight off my mission. And I go to this seminar and, you know, my dad was super influential in me saying, hey, you got to invest and you got to invest young. And so I'd made a little bit of money. It's like two or three grand. And I'm like, where am I going to invest it? You know, and I go to the seminar to like learn how to invest or who to give it to. And this guy gets up 
you know, in front of the, and it's funny cause I'm like, Oh, he's super old. He's like 40 years old, which I'm 41 now. But like <laughs> looking back, you know, he was, it just felt like he was confident and had life figured out. And I didn't. And I'm listening to this guy and he's like, there's no such thing as good investments. There's only good investors. And if you don't know what a good investment is, leave your money in the bank, invest in yourself, invest in your human life value and become the type of person who can see something and identify that it's a good investment. And I literally, I went to that seminar with three grand to give to somebody to go make me rich. And I like, it kind of got put back on me. That was my responsibility, but this is my whole net worth. This is all of my cash. And I remember like my interpretation of that, how I like framed it was go to Barnes and Noble and buy every book that they have and listen to them. This is before, you know, iTunes or anything. So I get an iPod and I bought every book, like audio, like CDs on selling, business, management, investing, his, like everything Barnes & Noble had. And I've got these bags of books. And I remember I was dating Chelsea at the time and I go home and I'm like really excited. I've just spent everything that I've made on an <laughs> iPod and like $2,000 of books. And I remember going in and I'm like, babe, this is it. This is the plan. I'm going to listen to every one of these and I'm going to learn something that's going to like make us wealthy. And my wife's like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? But I was so certain. And mm -hmm. I look back and like what you're describing with this guy of saying like, that was the best money I've ever spent. Like, I can't think of, I mean, that's an infinite return on that two grand. I could still today, I'd list every one of those books. It was good to great by Jim Collins. It's, you know, the richest man in Babylon. It's Alexander the great in his time, the story of leadership. It's all the stuff on the founding fathers. It's Hamilton's book on like coming to America and, you know, before the, and I like rich dad, poor dad, all the sell stuff, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, you know, Zig Ziglar. And, and I, I, I listened to every one of them because I had so much invested. It was everything to me. It wasn't, if somebody would have gave them to me, I probably wouldn't listen to them, but it, yeah. it was like everything I had. And I think about that principle of like, when you invest in yourself, that is the best dollars you could ever spend. Cause your, your ability to create value, that is the engine that goes and drives all economic value. You know what I mean? We had, yeah, we had a, one of my sales reps, she's new. It's her second week. She gets off a call today and she's like, what do I do? This kid literally has nothing to his name. He's calling his parents to see if he could buy the training. And I was like, well, that that's cool. But I was like, I would say this when you get on the call with them again, be like, I won't let your parents pay for this. I would rather not do the deal unless you showed me how you're putting some of the skin in the game. And I said, walk away. And I said, if ask him this question, did his parents pay for his college or did he pay for it? Yeah. And I, and, and she's like, well, why do you ask that? I was like, oh, it's probably a 50, 50 answer. I don't know. I was like, who in here had their parents pay for their college and have to, and I was like, I don't know. And I was like, the difference between the parents paying for kids college is they take it for granted. They might be that kid that, of course. and they might be the kid that just parties every day and doesn't care about their grades, but their parents are over here striking checks every quarter. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe he takes a loan from his parents and he has a pay pack plan, but you need to put that in writing with his parents. And I said, if he doesn't learn the principle of that self-investing early sure. and putting skin in the game, like you paid for the yeah. books. And I think too many people, they're like, let me cheat the system. Let me get the free this. Let me buy like just the YouTube, like the, 
that free mentality yeah, just is, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, and also like I remember I'm 27, 28 years old and, and had money invested in Vivint and Blackstone came and bought Vivint. So it was like the first time where I got like this exit, kind of this multiple seven figure exit, kind of seven or eight million bucks. And it was kind of this weird time where I'm like, I worked so hard, you know, for the last five years to get to this point, and then it's just here. And uh, Todd Santiago, who was, he was the CEO of two gig at the time. He ended up kind of coming and being the um, chief sales officer, chief revenue officer at Vivint. But he gave me this book by Clayton Christensen called how will you measure life? So good. And I remember reading this book at this time where I was like really moldable. And he talks, uh, he talks about what you value and his definition of value. It, it just, for some reason, the, way he put the words and how he articulated it just resonated so much with me. But he said, you value where you spend your time, where you spend your money and where you invest your emotional energy. And I think about those three things. And I think about what you're describing with this kid. And it's like, if you don't have real dollars and real time and real emotional commitment to something, you're never going to value it. You know what I mean? But if you do, you're, you're showing with like your most precious resources. Yep. This is important to me. And, and it's, it's always something that I've, you know, specifically with education from the, those early days of spending two grand and you were describing this, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on mastermind groups and education and things to go grow personally. You probably office here simply due to proximity. I, I think you, I originally, that was the, yeah, that, yeah. that was the point was you've got Todd Peterson. That's a billionaire. You've got Ryan Smith. That's a billionaire. And you got Dave Hunter that, you know, owns the building, you know, multiple, you know, tens of millions of dollars of net worth. And I'm, I'm like, I want to be around these guys. Yeah, I, you I, paid I a premium be, probably to say, I need to be here. Yeah, I want to be around these guys and just like hear what they talk about, you know, because you're talking about different stuff than somebody that's making 20 bucks an hour. It's just, it's a fully different conversation. But I think about for myself, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, whether it's going to Tony Robbins or whether it's going to Harvard or whether it's, you know, doing these different executive programs to go try to build my human life value, to build that capability to go create value in the marketplace. And it, and it's this common theme that I see from people that perform at a really high level. You take LeBron James, and I, I think it was like he spends over a million dollars a year on fitness and health from trainers to cryo to massage to nutrition to, but he's looking at it saying, I am, my body is the asset, like, and it has to be able to perform at a high level. And he allocates resources that somebody else would be like, that's such a waste, you know, that that's so much money to waste on yourself. But for him, it's a complete investment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we, it was my, it was the summer I was number one rep. I'm watching ESPN and they're doing this thing on, Tiger Woods and they're like, oh, he's working in the bunker with his chipping coach. And I was like, what? Tiger Woods has a chipping coach? It's mother effing Tiger Woods. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, what? He is the coach. He is the coach. Yeah. I was like, who's coaching Tiger Woods? Yeah. And that's like, I was at the same time simultaneously getting pitched on coaching. You know, like one of those dudes online is like, hey, you need a coach. And I'm like, I don't even have a coach. I'm freaking the top rep right now. Like, what do I yeah. need a coach for? Like in my ego, right? And then I'm like, Tiger Woods as a coach. And I'm over here like, 
he's the number one. He has a coach. I'm number one. I should have a coach. Right? I think, like, but it, I think you got to be really careful because there, there is a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. You know what I oh, mean? And so like my, my, my personal conviction is you got to be so careful who you take advice from. No, and, 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 and this is like good counsel. It's like, there's a coach and if they call themselves a coach and talk too much, they're not a coach. It's, they just know how to ask the right questions. A good coach is somebody that's just like, I can just poke and pry and pull out the answers from you. Yeah. Then you have an advisor that's like, Hey, let me advise you based on a free, a pretense or, um, and then you have like a mentor. It's like, look what I've done and let me give you a roadmap based on my history. Right. Yeah. And I think like we often convolute those three. Oh, for sure. And, and it's like, you can have a coach an advisor and a mentor. And I'm actually not a great coach. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, Sam, my coach. I'm like, I'm not going to have a coach. I'm like more of a consultant. I'm like, here's the frameworks, here's tools, yeah. here's things to do, playbooks, go implement. Um, I don't want to sit here and like, I'm not patient enough to ask real good questions, but there's super value in a coach. And then I have tons of mentors. And I'm like, I might mentor people because I'm like, hey, you want to make millions of dollars in door to door? I've done that. I can help you. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I can give you the roadmap of what we did. And then I've seen it 500 different ways. And anyway, but like, I think that's where people get mixed. And and luckily I had a good one and paid the 30 grand or whatever. And I look back and I'm like, you know, my, my ego self, even the vivid self was like, dude, we have tons of leaders. We have tons of systems. And I was like, yeah, but like this guy comes from a different world. Like yeah. maybe he has something different. Yeah. And I learned, I'm like, when we pigeonhole ourselves into our own, we limit our curiosity. Of course. And it's like, no, curiosity is a good thing channeled in the right direction. Yeah. I think some people might go too far down the rabbit holes, but it's like knowing how to be intuitive and saying, it's good to be curious. And so, that's where innovation happens. I went and did this program at Harvard when I was 30. And like 30 is the youngest that you can get into it. It's called Program for Leadership Development. And this guy who ran it is this guy named Michael Tushman, who's like this, you know, tenured professor at Harvard, kind of an expert on innovation. But he talked about this concept of exploring and exploiting. And he said, you have to balance both. You've got to be in like the explore mode. That's where like the innovation and the R and D and the growth and like the new ideas come. But you also have to balance, like I've got my core business that I just need to optimize. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be that creative. I just need to like show up and be efficient and just optimize that business. And so it's balancing those two. You think back, you know, the, the years that you were selling the way you were selling, it's about Repetition. It's Pound about the optimization. It's about, you know, his, his thing would be exploit. It's just you 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 get as much out of that opportunity as you can physically yeah. get. I like that. But then it's going off and trying new things and exploring and making mistakes. And ultimately, like, those new ones end up being your entire business. Yeah. You know, your old business dies and the new business is the... I never thought this was my business. Like, yeah. I was like, I'm going to throw this event. And then I'm like, oh shit, I, I have, I can't work here and throw the event. I'm like, I have to quit, but I'll see you in a couple of months, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. I'm like, Bleh. yeah. And it was just like, oh, now I'm a coach. Nah, so not, not what I want to do. And then I like, you know what I mean? It was just like, it, it kind of evolved into like yeah. my innovation and curiosity just like expanded this. But you know how many times I've, I've lost probably 
four to 500 grand a year on just dumb innovation Course. stuff. Yeah. I bought a tech company, built another tech company, bought that, you know what I mean? Just like, and I'm like, what am I doing? And so the last like six months, I've just been like shutting down that, shutting down this, shut this down. Don't care about going that. back Stop. to the basics. Just go back to the basics. Yeah, go back to like the one that has worked the Be- whole time. Because most entrepreneurs, like why they're becoming entrepreneurs, the innovator in them. And then they hit this plateau point where it's like, you just need to keep beating what works. Yep. But that's boring for the entrepreneur yep. that has the innovative creative mind. Yep. And so they're always looking for side hustles. They're always looking to innovate. They're always looking to they're like, dude, just stop breaking this. Yeah. That is your, like the golden goose that keeps laying eggs. And so it's like, I think my advice to an entrepreneur and, and, and to myself, and I've had to like have this come to of like, you either need to go hire a management team that can take over. Or you got to like stay doing the same thing. Basketball never changes. It's not like LeBron's like, all right, let me be a golfer. Let me be a football player. Yeah. Could he? Probably. But it's like, I'm going to shoot free throws. I'm going to do my layups and I'm going to shoot my three-pointer. Yeah. And that's what works. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Tony Robbins, the way that he describes it, he says you're either a business owner or you're a business operator. Yeah. And he he basically says operators get tired and owners get wealthy. And it was so profound to me because when I heard that, I was absolutely an operator. Like in the, his examples, if you can't leave your business for a month and come back and it's better than when you left it, you're an operator. And I was like, I can't leave my business for a week. Like the wheels will fall off the bus. You know what I mean? And, and, but it was humbling. It was like directionally, this is where I need to go. I need to become a business owner. I need to be able to put the processes and systems and teams in place so that I can leave for a week or a month or a year and that this thing doesn't need me to go fuel it. And, and like, I still remember it. Like, he's like, if you're, if you can't do that, you're a dancing bear. And it doesn't matter if you work at McDonald's or if you're a professional athlete making tens of millions of dollars, you get paid when you dance and you need to get to the point where your money and your business is working for you when you're not there. And it, it, it was, anyway, it was just a great kind of insight to say directionally, I want to be a business owner. I, I, you know, I'll operate in businesses, but I don't want that to be who I am. I want to be somebody that owns businesses and that's where you get the leverage in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. So, so talk to me kind of switching gears. Talk to me about, um, family, like you, you've gone divorced, newly married, happy. Yeah. I, I, I just met, you know. Your recently new wife, D, and you guys just look happy, like really good energy. It's, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, and I, anything I say, I don't, this is my experience and I'm not trying to project on anyone else's experience. And, you know, growing up in a Utah culture, divorce is like a swear word, right? I was the only one in my family. I was the only one I really knew, like, I'm like, where do I go with this? And I remember it was like, that's not what you do. But after six months after getting married, I was like, this was a mistake. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like early and like not a good compatible fit. Right. Yeah. And and I get with any relationship comes challenge, but I'm like, you shouldn't have to go to seven years of counseling and five different counselors. And it's like always a fight. You know what I mean? I'm like, shouldn't relationships meant to be like fun? Happy. You know what I mean? Happy. Yeah. Like I want to come home to like my person. And I didn't, never really had that. And there were good times and moments and windows, but like, anyway, kind of got to the point where I was like, I'm choosing happiness over just like commitment on this. Like there's not a world where I see her and me happy together. And I had to make a hard decision. 
And it kind of led to a mantra of mine that I've adopted in other things, which isn't a bad mantra. It's change the team or change the team. You know what I mean? It's like you can either evolve and, and motivate and, and, and people can adapt or sometimes it's okay to change the team. Yeah. And um, it works with employees. It works with whatever, right? And I went on a journey, you know, and had my single phase for a minute. And, but I really was meticulous about drawing up what does the next chapter of relationships yeah. look like? And, you know, it had been easy to get sucked into single life. And, but I, I, I really do value family. You know, I have three girls. I want a good mom for that. You know what I mean? I want a good stepmom for that. Yeah. I want to progress. And I feel like having a good, marriage or partnership is a key piece in progression. Yeah. So and, what's, what's the difference? Like what, what's the difference? Like where are you different and where, you know, is D different, you know, like, cause obviously like in, in any relationship yeah. or in any outcome, you, you got to look back and you, one, you got to take like full personal responsibility yeah. Yeah, and say, take for, yeah, th- this is where I was off and this is where I can be better the next go around. But, yeah. but then also like, what, what is it that, because you guys do, you guys look really happy. I, I think a big piece is like when you get married right after a mission, typically you tell a story, even like Vivint days, I look at Vivint as like a military. I look at the mission as like a military. I look at, those are like good stepping into like manhood, learning how to work, learning how to provide, learning yeah. systems, learning leadership. And I think you go through a phase and I think I went this way and she went this way and it wasn't like it was wrong. I think we just had differences and I, I mean, you, you got to grow together. Yeah. Like period. Like I, you know, you look at the statistics, 50%, it's one out of two and in divorce. And it, and so the advice like this is where if you're thinking about getting married, looking for your person, gone through a divorce is designing like really what are your value systems in your mission? And then really designing, I wrote a full two pages of like this and that, this is what I'm looking for. They have this love language. And I started dating this girl and I'm like, bah, it's not it. <laughs> I had to dump her. And I was like, sorry, didn't communicate. Like, you know, and I started learning. I was like, and then I read, redrew and I drove four pages and I was like, is it bad for me to be this specific? Like I need something that and, and you know, I almost felt guilty. I'm like down to the nose, right? Like I'm like, they have this and they they enjoy these hobbies. They have, you know, and I almost felt like like people would come to me and be like, are you looking for a unicorn? I'm like, yeah, yeah. like I, I, I don't think it's a unicorn. I'm just designing. I think there's somebody that's my, my person. Yeah. And lo and behold, three weeks later, she pops up and first date, I'm like, I drew you up. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, read this. She's like, what the hell? You know what I mean? Like not a good thing to do on your first date, but... And she was like, wow, this is like literally my autobiography, like you know, just to a T and it lined every little thing on all four pages. And it was like, well, hate to break it to you. This is going to work out. And that's the first, you know what I mean? And I've been on a lot of dates. It's I've amazing. been single. You like, just knew. I just knew. Like, I was like, oh, cool. And it's like, we snowboard together. We mountain bike together. We wake up and did this morning. We meditated together. We did breath work, cold plunge, went to the gym, gym buddy, you know what I mean? Like all things. And it's like, then we're on the same mission. She was on a podcast today. I was on a podcast. She's teaching how to be more empowered and like the same, even just down to the same word tracks. Like we're just like, that's cool. Like, and I'm like, that's what a real partnership I feel like should look like. And it yeah. doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean, and, but I, I was very, very intentional about designing that. Like, I'm like, how do I, you know, like the lifestyle design, it's like the, the, the element of like, 
I want to wake up every day and be like, what's my health look like? What's my relationship look like? What does my business life look like? And I did this with business. Like we had a highlight reel last night. We did our customer customers party or whatever yeah. our thing. And they played a video of the year. And I was like, is this a travel video? Like, is this like, what is this? Like, and it was us. We went heli skiing in Canada to South Africa to Tahiti to Scotland to Bora Bora. Like we literally went to all over the world and I designed my job to do what I love, to help people, to travel, to provide an amazing experience with high vibe people. And I was like, like, this is what I do for work. Like I get paid. That's so cool. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I designed it that way. That, yeah. Like, I, and I think when you like, you know, somebody asked me like on the podcast earlier today, he's like, what do you feel like your greatest accomplishment is? And I was like, honestly, it's like intentional living and alignment. And I think, you know, I was chasing this like need to be liked in Vivint and win the accolade. If I do this, I'll get the gold star. And I think lately I've just been like, what is costing me my peace? And can yeah. I do things to dissolve that? And what brings me my peace? And can I design my life around that? So what is it? It's getting up in the morning, doing a good workout and a meditation. Morning and, morning habits big yeah, for you. Yeah, just like having a, like a great morning and then yeah. being able to take the kids and sell hot chocolate, but then be able to pick up and go, we're going to Turks and Caicos next month. You know what I mean? And like be able to travel, be able to like invest in the things. Like I just bought some investment things, be able to um, give back. You know, I just did this, this week we're doing a huge charity tour drive. Or if you text me and said, Hey, let me help out with that. Thing. I'm like, I don't care. Like yesterday I just donated a couple grand to this other dude's foundation. And it's like, I don't have to think to be able to give, to be able to give, yeah. to be able to, you know, it's funny. My parents are on a mission in Africa right now. Yeah. And they just are like, we need a P day. So like three months later, they're in a year mission in Africa. I was like, that's what you call the P day. And they're like, <laughs> like, my mom's like, yeah, I need a break. And so, you know, it's just funny. Like they pick up, move to Sierra Leone, the second poorest place in the world. It's incredible. And they're four hours out on a dirt road. And they're the only ones in the town with a generator. And they're just serving. And they're just serving. And I get their emails. I woke up this morning at five and I'm reading my mom's email and I'm just like. How exciting is that? Like they figured it out. No, that that that's the good stuff. Yeah, like I'm you like, know what I mean? I'm able, so jealous. Yeah, to be able to go like live it on your terms. Yeah, and I'm like, you wanted a P day, so three months later you're living in Africa. That's amazing. And I'm like, I think we get so caught up in this rat race of like, of course, we're chasing, we're needing, we're busy, we're, and you just forget like. She's like, I was talking to him about Pirates of the Caribbean, and none of them knew what that was. And then Harry Potter, none of them knew what it was. I'm like most of them don't have phones. And she's like, their life conversations and problems are just family, community. What do we eat today? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's simple. And we both went to Africa and we've done these different charity things. So every, cool. Every time you're like, I'm going to go save these people. And you're like, damn it. We need it way more than they do. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, So talk to me about faith. I know you've been on kind of a faith journey yourself and you're talking about parents that are on a mission and Talk to me about kind of where faith falls in your life these days and how, and how do you go like get connection and purpose and meaning to your life? That's been an interesting journey too. You know, I grew up LDS, still would call myself quasi LDS. I don't know, call myself a Buddhist, call myself a Christian. Call me, like I, I, I think I'm less, I'm looser on the lines and some people will be like, you have to be in or out. I'm like, I don't know. That's just how I, that's how I roll. That's what I'm choosing. I went to LES church two weeks ago and to non-denominational on Sunday. Yeah. Like, and I've had a, 
but it's obviously important in your life. Oh, like, for sure. like connection and meaning and purpose and spirituality. I mean, you're not going to an LDS church and a non non-denominational church if you're not every day. I read check, checking a box of connection and purpose and meaning. It's had a whole different meaning. I think the issue was I grew up checking boxes. Yeah. And it was more of what is the letter of the law? What does the book say? And it was almost like, please tell me how to be spiritual Yeah. versus finding spirituality. Yeah. And I think religion and spirituality cross lines too much. But where have you found it? Like, because it feels like you're in a good spot. It feels yeah. like you're happy with where you're at right now and that you're making a difference and you feel like you're living a life of purpose and meaning. And so it feels like you're, you know, finding it. Yeah, and I think it comes. But where do you find it? I mean, it's the basic principles, love. Like, it's like when you practice loving yourself, you practice loving God or whatever your creator, your universe, whatever you want to call that. Like, I still believe in God. Um, and loving your those around you, there's this element of like opening and happiness that can come. And I think too much... I found I live so much in my head and I'm noticing so many more people do. Of course. It's like they went and did a big study on these monks in India or whatever. And they put these monitors on their heads and they're like studying like how they have such simple and peaceful lives. And they're like, what are you doing? They're like laughing at the scientists and like, you're putting it on the wrong spot. We think with our hearts. And that was like, you think of like head or heart as one of my, my mantras. And it's like, When you approach a conversation, when you approach a scenario, it's like we're designed so much more connected to God than I think we think. For sure. And it's like if God is eternal and we're built to be gods, it's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I think that there's so much more like story of Christ. It's like, well, that was 2,000 years ago. And it's like I'm a firm believer in Christ. But it's like where's the Christ in us? Yeah. It's like we're all in our own little like same story. And we're all in our own little atonements and we're all trying to live in that at oneness with God. Yeah. And it's this practice of like, am I living in alignment with my highest self? And am I chasing and am I drawing and attracting the people, the things, the the abundance that we can tap into? Yeah. And I think we have so much more creator godness in us. I agree. I I, 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 I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Like I, I when when I think about when I think about me and like I would I would always tell my wife this I'm like I get more spirituality out of business than I do from church. It's the creativeness, and, 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 and she's like, like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, and I didn't have the language to describe it, but now I do, and it's that I'm the close. I feel like I'm the closest to God when I'm growing at a high level, like when I'm really stretched or expanded. I feel like I'm, I'm expanding, I'm growing. And then number two, when I'm serving at a high level and I think about the times where I'm at, like in this like flow state or in like this connection where I'm like, and it's when I'm serving where I'm like pouring my heart into what I'm doing and the people that I'm doing it with. And you think about business, I don't know of too many like environments where you can truly serve people. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you're training and when you're listening and when you're challenging and when you're mentoring, you 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 really are serving at the high, like a really high level. And then the second, like when you're growing a business, you get stretched. 
to places, you know, anybody who's been a business owner has woke up with sweats in the middle of the night and has, you know, gone to bed crying. And, you know, I remember, like, I don't know of too many guys. I'll ask the question, like, who's cried on the doors? And it's yeah. like a lot of them are like, yeah. yeah, I have, you know, and it's like, it breaks you. Like it yeah. emotionally breaks you down, but that's where the growth comes, you know? And I, I, you know, I think about that when I think about business and I really do believe business is a spiritual game. So true. And that, you know, when you're doing it right, when you're doing it kind of at a high level that you're changing lives. And I can't think of anything that's like more meaningful than that. You know what I mean? I have this couple that works for me. One dude's worked for me for five years and his wife's worked for me for two. And, you know, I was kind of this point where she's kind of just like taking over. She's like the A personality, just crushing it. She started part-time, you know, you're like paying her 20 bucks an hour. And last night I just sent him new offer letters and it didn't like say much, but hers came with a thirty-five, $40,000 raise. She wasn't asking, you know what I mean? She's just like, Hey, like, and I was like, just subtly sent her an offer thing. And right before I came here and I was like, Hey, did you get the email? And she looks at me and just teardrops. And she was like, that's life changing. You know what I mean? Like they, they're building and moving into their new home. I get emotional sometimes. You know what I mean? Just like to watch them. We've been living in their parents' basement trying to save up for this hard to buy house today. Yeah. And they're just like, dude, like, you know, and I went to him and I gave him a little raise and, and I was like, you guys have been loyal. You guys have been awesome. You guys have been like just such a big piece. And I was like, you deserve it. Well, I think it's two things. I think number one, it's the money, yeah. which matters. But I think equally as important is that you recognize the value that they bring to your organization. Yeah. And that's matters equally, if not more, because they have like, you know what I mean? And I think that's like the magic of being a leader. Like all of us have had those people in our life. I think about this a lot. Like who are the people that believed in me more than I believed in myself at that moment when I could have gone either way? You know what I mean? And you have this leader that believes in you and challenges you and what that does to you, you know, and that those are the people I look back in my life, whether it's a high school football coach or a mission president or, you know, Todd or Alex or these different guys that bet on me when they didn't have to and like challenge me and saw more in me than I saw myself. And I think that's the opportunity of a leader. That's the opportunity of being a great manager, a great leader is you have people like you, you think about that stewardship or that responsibility. You've got somebody's kids. Like you think about how much you love your kids. Yeah. You've got somebody's kids that work for you and that you can either create an em environment where they're growing and expanding and learning and get new skills and raising their, you know, value in the marketplace or vice versa. You can create a miserable environment that, you know. And I've done both. Yeah. And, and all, I think all of us have all, yeah. you know, on our best days, we want to be that great manager. And then there's the times you screw up and you, you know. Yeah, and it's like, this goes back to that spirituality thing. It's like, you think of Christ, how selfless he was. And he had this unwavering concept of abundance. He's like, I will give everything because I already have everything. Yeah. And he had access to whatever. You know, you just think of like a king. It's like, we forget that. And I think so often we want to- But it's, it's, it's tough to give it away when you don't own it. So You know uh, what I mean? Like, yeah. it, the, there's this concept of micro-giving that I, you know, adopted seven or eight years ago. And it was from watching Todd. And he would always have cash kind of on him. 
and he would find opportunities, whether it's the gas station or whether it's, you know, at the restaurant to, to tip, but not tip in like an ordinary fashion to like surprise somebody. And I saw just this process of how we just light people's light people up. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it's been something that's added like the most value out of any like little daily habit. But if it's also like, uh, it, it exercises my abundance muscle. Yeah. Because when I'm completely abundant, it's very easy. I, I get a prompting. You should give that person money and I act on it and I feel abundant. And then there's other times where I'm tired or I'm fatigued or whatever it is. And I get the same inkling and I, and I grasp yeah, it you and I should tighten up. Yep. And when I can tighten up, recognize it and still give, I, I'm working this muscle of abundance and I show up more abundant. Like I show up with the right energy and people can feel it and vice versa. When I'm, when I'm scarce, like people can feel that as well. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's one of those things that, you know, the wealthiest people that I've ever met are the most generous. They're the 100%. most abundant. They're the most giving. And the ones that are really scarce and tight, it, it feels like they alienate so many of the opportunities that could come into their life if they just be open and vulnerable. I've learned that lesson the hard way too many times. Yeah. Yeah. So, but before we finish up, kind of, if, if you were talking to 21-year-old Sam, what advice would you give yourself? Kind of, you know, if you were sitting yourself down and you could t- tell yourself, hey, these three things, remember these three, three things as you're navigating your career. Yeah, I mean, my brain went career, but then it wanted to go life. And then went back to career. But They're like, kind of the same thing. Yeah, like... I think too often we're afraid to say no. I think like, you know, I think of my first marriage, like I I wanted to back out before the wedding, but I was afraid of like the consequence of like, we booked a wedding venue and who am I going to have to light down and uninvite? And you know what I mean? That whole concept of like your intuition is telling you, hey, dude, just slow this down. It's okay. You can postpone it at six months and see what happens. You know what I mean? And you're just like, do I regret it? No. I love that decision. I own it. But it's like, I think so often, like I've been pressured into things that I intuitively am sitting there going, this isn't right. And you watch it happen. And then six months later, you're like, I knew it wasn't right. Damn it. Like, you know what I mean? How many times that happened? You're like, should have listened to my wife or should have listened to my intuition. I should have like everything inside of you. As much as you're like, I want that. Your intuition's like, but bro, just run. And I think learning that, trusting yourself and when the the spirit inside of you that intuition is sitting there going it's not a good deal it's not a good idea it's like i've lost so much money on dumb deals that i knew i shouldn't have put money in or you were feeling it shouldn't you, have hired somebody yeah, yeah you're like i yeah. can't lose yeah and everything inside of you is like don't hire that person they're not so gonna more just trusting your like trusting your inner voice is yeah, that kind trust of like that inner voice like, like even I, when it's hard even when you're like, like what you said, don't give them the money, you know, or like, I think if people could learn that skill set, like that muscle of like, listen to that inner voice yeah. and trust it, even though you're like, I don't know why a year later, you'll be like, that's why. Yeah. And it's like, if it's not this, it's something better. It, it, rejection might be God's redirection. It's like, there's this element of like, patience and being like, I guess this isn't it as much as I wanted it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think, so, so that's one. What's number two? Um, invest young. 
I think like you're like, I never bought a Kia. You drove like that Hummer or whatever, the Range Rover. Yeah. You're like, look at me. And I, yeah. everybody's like, we're crude off of fancy cars. And I drove a Kia all through Vivint. I didn't buy a nice car until I left. Yeah. And everybody's like, who's this kid with the long hair and the Kia? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I made a lot of money and I put it in real estate. Yep. And I think too many people are afraid to invest. And I wish I would have invested more because yeah. you look at the last 10 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you, damn it. I wish yeah. I would have put more. I thought I did good. And I'm like, should have figured out ways to get more money to invest Yeah, because compounding interest from 21 to 33 is great. Yep. And then the third one is don't obsess too, too much over things that really don't matter. I think like you talk to the wise person and they're like, dude, I wasted so much time and energy and money on the wrong things. Yeah. And it's like the younger you can learn that and the, the faster, better. yeah, the better. Yeah. And I mean, you've, you're, you're still young. I know. I mean, you're how old? 33. That's crazy. I mean, you're, you're, you're still so young and on this track with your career, that's just incredible. It's, it's fun to watch. Thanks. Well, so to summarize, it's kind of lead with your heart. Yeah. Listen to your, listen to your heart and, and follow your heart. Invest young. And number three. Yeah, I would just say don't like focus on the right priorities. Yeah. Like prioritization. And it's like my dad taught me this at a young age. He's like, Did you read your scriptures? It's like, well, no, like, well, you did this, but how come you did this? Do you not prioritize it? You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. teaching that concept of like choose the good. Choose like, the yeah, good. Choose like, the, the the bigger opportunity. Yeah. It's yeah. like today I like spent more time doing my morning routine and, and, and like pushed a meeting because I was like, I'm prioritizing me in this yeah. moment and the energy in which I'm in right now. Not, I don't, I mean, probably didn't even matter. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was probably something that was well, on my calendar. There's always another meeting. Yeah. There's always yep. another meeting. And I yep. think, I mean that, I think it, if there's a lesson that you get as you get older, it's that like the demands of work are kind of unrelenting and unending. Like the, there's never, you could, you could work 24 hours a day if you wanted to. Yep. And, and they, they will, they'll steal time from the things that matter most. You know, it's your, your health, it's your finances, it's your family, it's your, your relationship with your significant other. It's like those things, like if you don't put those big rocks in your schedule, they'll, they'll get drowned out by the, you know, the good in the world that kind of good is the enemy to great. hundred percent. So Sam, I've loved having you out. Um, door to door con is when? January 26th and 27th. Right and and so, so, so talk to me a little bit about that. Cause this is kind of something that you've done every single year and it's just compounded year after year after year. Like what, what's it going to be like for somebody who's never experienced it? What are they going to experience? So whether you're in door to door or not, like we have business owners come from all over sales professionals come from all over the world. We've had people from Australia and Europe and, um, but it's a big convention with vendors and workshops on sales, leadership, business, marketing, recruiting, finance, just leveling people up. I yeah. mean, it has an emphasis of door to door. We get, you know, roofers to windows to solar to whatever industry. Yeah. And it's just a fun, high vibe energy of 1099 mentalities that are getting together saying, what can we make magic with? You know what I mean? And um, we have Sean White, Lance Armstrong, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. You have wow. um, Kent Clothier, who does a thousand real estate deals a year or a month. Um, you have, I mean, some really, really, you're speaking there. Exceptional speakers. Yeah. Just like we go hand select, like from our workshop speakers, are either 
business owners running big businesses, top sales professionals, they're, you know, guys like you, or, you know, we hand select everybody and we say, this is the theme. Here's where you plug in. And it's an experience for a weekend where yeah. it's really cool. I'm really, really excited. So everybody go, if you get a chance, go experience it. The, the investment that you make, you'll get 10, a hundred times out of your investment if you'll kind of take that stuff and go apply it to go create revenue and create an opportunity in your personal life. And and you really are like, you know, we've had Sean White come speak. He's one of the most inspiring guys that I've ever heard speak. He's been an idol of mine since high school. I, I, I remember, and this is just tangent before we finish up, but I remember watching his Olympic run. I think it was in Japan and it's his gold medal run and he's sitting in second. He's got the silver. It's his last run, you know, and it was that year when he had that really bad wreck where it almost like ripped his face off, landed on the corner of the half pipe and just like really did damage. And anybody who's like snowboarded or skied like or rode a bowl, like when you have a bad outcome, like to get back on it and and go for it and go for it at the level that you have to go for it, you know. And I remember him getting up on that run and he just threw a perfect run and he lands uh, like he hits that last, you know, that last jump and you can see him just put the, his hands in the air and you knew it. And I remember I'm, I'm watching TV by myself and I just start crying. I'm like, why am I crying right now? It's a snowboarding event, yeah. but you're crying because you're like, I just witnessed greatness. Like I just w- witnessed perfection. And I, I love that stuff. And so anyway, it's it's so anytime that you can get somebody who's the best in the world at what they do, it's like, yeah, what a gift. So and all those guys, Chris Voss is fantastic. Never split the difference. So yeah. good. I've re-listened to that so many times. So, yeah, I'm excited to come and, and listen in and 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 ultimately just cheer for your successes. It'll be fun to look back five and 10 years from now and see what this turns into. Because you know where it began and you know where it's, it is now. And it, it'll be fun to see kind of what this turns into and what you go create. So anyway, thanks for coming out. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Pleasure. <laughs>